Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Plain Talking. In this first edition of 2023, we take an in-depth look at the newly published World Watch List, Open Doors catalogue of the globe's most oppressive states. Dylan Moore helps us navigate the bewildering world of social media, and brother David Jardine gets us ready for Lent. Open Doors has just published its 2023 World Watch List. The World Watch List ranks the nations where Christians face the most severe persecution and discrimination. According to this year's list, the six top nations facing persecution are North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, and Nigeria. Open Doors says that sub-Saharan Africa is facing a catastrophic collapse as Islamist violence sweeps across the region. Sub-Saharan Africa faces a vast humanitarian catastrophe, they say, as a wave of religiously motivated violence nurtured in Nigeria has swept across the region, targeting Christian populations at an alarming rate in countries such as Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Mali, and Niger. There are signs of jihadist expansion clearly visible in places like Mozambique and the Congo and other countries. So this, amongst other things, uh, are some of the disturbing findings of this year's World Watch List. Well, I'm delighted now to be joined by John Samuel, Open Doors spokesman for Sub-Saharan Africa. Welcome, John. Thank you very much for having me, Gethin. Well, John, these are uh, frightening conclusions and frightening findings. I wonder if you could just describe to us what the situation is, as you see it, in sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, violence against Christians, as you have just read the report of what that was missed for 2023, is increasing and uh, is, has reached a record high. Just to see a few numbers, probably, uh, you know, to understand the impact of the violence that we are speaking about. In sub-Saharan Africa, different reporters, including reporters from the United Nations, claim that more than 360 million people are subjected to displacement and uh, impacted by violence in different ways. The report also mentions that more than 5,620 Christians were killed in, in the reporting period alone, and from which 89% is in, in Nigeria, which is found in sub-Saharan African countries. As you have also uh, mentioned, from uh, the top 10 countries where Christians face the most persecution, four of them at least are in sub-Saharan African countries. And violence, when we look into data, uh, let's say, for instance, uh, when we look at violence in 2007 and when we compare it to 2021 in sub-Saharan Africa, it has increased by 10 times. Uh, just to add one more on this, if you look at a number of days per incident, it has increased from 3.8 days per incident to 7.9 between 2007 and 2021. So when you look at so the economy, the uh, life loss and the, the, the trauma that people are going through, and when you look at the number of people who are affected by this violence across sub-Saharan countries, yes, it is very concerning. And we can talk about so many reasons that contributed to this. We can speak about different kinds of draconian laws uh, that are against human rights, that, that tightens control over the church, uh, social hostilities, and other reasons. But violence of jihadist groups takes the lion's share. 
and it is very concerning. And as you have rightly mentioned from the report, this jihadist movement is spreading across uh, other countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you, John. I wonder if you'd explain to us, I mean, it's a word that we hear so often on the news, jihad or jihadist or jihadist violence. I wonder what, without being too graphic, what does that actually look like? What, is, what does that mean for those of us who don't live in those nations? Yeah, that's, that's very important. I can just pick a few countries and a few incidents as an example so that it, it is clear for the audience. Most of forms of the violence that perpetrated by jihadist violences are in a way religiously motivated. We have uh, enough reasons to believe that it is religiously motivated. Why would I say that? The, the violence, which is uh, manifested in forms of killing, sexual slavery and rape, ransom and kidnapping and of course destruction of properties is mostly targeted one this traditionally Christian village and massacre at the churches is quite common to see in the countries mentioned. So going to the church, you can imagine a Sunday morning is a very good family time for many Christians in places where they don't face extreme violence. But you go to the church, then chances are high that you may not come back or you may not see your family again. I myself have witnessed uh, during my visit to some of these places, to Nigeria, for instance, several churches that were burned in several people who are displaced. In IDP camp, like settlements, you will find IDPs of thousands, ten thousands, and twenty thousands, and all of them are Christians. So these jihadist groups openly claim that they want to establish an Islamic caliphate where Christians are not tolerated. For that matter, some traditional Islams are not also tolerated, who does not subscribe to, uh, you know, Islamic caliphate, to the establishment of Islamic caliphates. So groups like Boko Haram, which are designated as terrorist groups or uh, radical groups, groups like the splinter from Boko Haram called ISWAP Islamic State West Africa province, some militants around Nigeria and the Sahel region, for instance, milita uh, militants from the Fulanis, they continuously and relentlessly attack churches, Christian communities, and they are very well equipped with military-grade weapons and the Christians are absolutely left without any defense. And to hear such stories is really heartbreaking. Just to add on, you know, the manifestations of these jihadist attacks, one of the weapons they use is they just come and raid a village and then they will kidnap some people and they will take them. Most of the time, if they are female, they are subjected to um, rape and sexual slavery for some time. And then they will ask some ransom for their release. And family members who are not, who escaped the attack are supposed to pay for their release. And most of the time, they either are not able to pay back that money, which they have borrowed from the community, mm -hmm. from close family members. And some are even forced to leave their community because they are not able to pay back. So you can imagine the kind of impact that it is bringing on the, on the community. It's, it's frightening to hear these statistics. It's frightening to hear the, the level of the violence that Christians are facing, even unto death. I wonder what, from Open Door's point of view, by publishing these figures and by alerting the world to these things, what are you hoping will be the result, the, the positive results, do you think? Whenever the jihadist groups uh, were active and were mobilized towards establishing Islamic caliphates in the Middle East, for instance, the international community was very alert and cognizant of that. And the international community pretty much mobilized to intervene in this you know, concerning trend. But when it comes to uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, as you have also mentioned, for instance, ADF Alliance, uh, it is uh, Alliance for Defending, the, uh, sorry, I, I just forgot the abbreviation for, for, for the moment. 
and a group called ADS, uh, yes. which is active and operating in DRC, for example, just this January claimed the lives of 17 people and it was a bomb detonated in a church and it has happened during a church service. And uh, recently, even in the southern part of Nigeria, where traditionally known to be predominantly Christians, the Catholic mm. church was, um, you know, attacked and so many people lost their lives. So uh, the international community is not giving enough attention to this mm. trend. So yes. there is a trend and it is appearing in other countries where Islamist groups traditionally were not active and were not operating. So it is expanding to other countries. So it's not only Nigeria, it's not only Mali. Of course, mm. from Nigeria, you know, Boko Haram and Daeshwap are expanding to neighboring countries like Northern Cameroon, from Mali to Burkina Faso. But in DRC, in Mozambique, for instance, there is also a group which is now intolerant to Christian and Christ, uh, to, to churches. So this trend is expanding. So our objective is that there is a religious motivation behind the violence and churches and Christians who are helpless and defenseless are being targeted. One is that this is a message that we would like to pass. The other is the international community, as I said, has to take measures to intervene. This. Otherwise, the impact might be even beyond the continent. Governments where this violence is happening mm. has to discharge their responsibility to protect their citizens. Human rights are being violated. So international community and other governments who have diplomatic relationship with these governments where the violence is happening has to support them in all means as possible and has also ha need to pressurize them as well to, to discharge their duty as a government. And also there is a large, a huge amount of impunity in most parts of uh, these places where the violence is happening. So all these things, you know, the international community has to be aware of this and take all appropriate measures in their capacity, intervene and save lives. So like I said, the expansion of the extremism and that it is religiously motivated and that government just has to uh, play their own role to intervene in this uh, concerning trend. Well, John, John Samuel from Open Doors, thank you so much for giving us such an in-depth analysis of what's going on in sub-Saharan Africa. And um, we wish you all the best and God's blessing on you and Open Doors in your great work. Thank you very much. God bless you for your work as well. The way we communicate with one another, locally and globally, has been revolutionized by social media. And so I asked Dylan Moore to give us an overview of this brave new world of communications. So I'm joined now by Dylan Moore, who's a writer and a journalist and a Christian, and his latest novel is called Many Rivers to Cross, which is published by Three Imposters. But Dylan is joining me because of the proliferation of social media. And I know that social media is something Dylan uses greatly, both professionally and in terms of normal life. So we're going to have a chat about why, why it's significant, what is it, and I guess where it's going as well. So Dylan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Gathin. It's really good to be here. I thought it'd be really useful for us, for you to help us unpack what social media is. So some of us know what Facebook is, for example, but there's a whole lot more to social media these days than just Facebook, isn't there? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, to start off with, we've got to go back to the beginnings of the internet. And when the internet first started in the 1990s, people might remember that it was, it was kind of a one-way street that you would log on and you would be able to access lots of information. But there wasn't really a way in which you could 
upload things. It was all about download. And then the internet developed into what we know as Web 2.0. And this was where it became a two-way interface between, I suppose, the information that's out there in the cloud or in, in the kind of ether stored somewhere else and us as users. And social media kind of grew out of that, really, out of that ability of technology to be able to connect us as human beings on our own devices, whether that's laptops or phones or iPads or anything else, and other people using devices elsewhere in the world. And so, you know, most people will be aware of, of the biggest social media site, which is Facebook, only founded in 2007. I mean, it seems to have been around forever because it's become such a part of our lives. But yeah, 2007, Facebook began. And obviously, since then, we've seen the rise of Twitter, which has had a massive impact in particular areas, particularly in politics and particularly in, in certain countries where it's been used as a tool for activism, tool for debate. And then Facebook have also taken over another um, site that people will probably have heard of, at least, which is Instagram, which is mainly based around images. And then there's TikTok, which is more for videos. There's Snapchat, which is kind of one that young people use for exchanging pictures and exchanging um, very, very quick, brief conversations. So there's this whole gamut, this whole array of different social media platforms, which all have slightly different audiences, slightly different uses, but it's all really about connecting people up and allowing people to access information from all over the world, as well as share their own content. And it's really that two-way street that kind of is the sort of nub of, of what social media is and does. You know, back in the day, we, you know, we would have taken a newspaper and read what other people wanted us to, to think. But now, when you log on and you, you read the media, lots of it is produced content by people who are not media professionals. They're just ordinary people. And there are obviously pros and cons to, to all of that. So Dylan, you hinted there at something, actually. So we've had Web 1.0. We're in Web 2.0. So I'm, I'm bound to ask you, where is there a three or a four coming up? The three that people are talking about at the moment is something called the metaverse, which I completely don't understand. But I suppose if anyone remembers the program Star Trek, The Next Generation, where the characters in that show were able to go to what they called the holodeck, where they could basically take part in a kind of alternative reality. So this is where devices like the headphones that you're wearing, Gethin, or maybe some kind of eyeglasses that uh, allow you to see in virtual reality. And people might have seen those years ago in cinemas. They brought out these kind of glasses that you could wear and you could have a, a kind of 3D or 4D experience. I should, say, no, I should say, Dylan, I'm not wearing the eyeglasses. Headphones I'll give you, no. but eyeglasses, apart from no. my glasses, I'm not wearing those. Not totally turned into an Android yet. Because that's, <laughs> that's the other argument that people make, that it's kind of like, you know, where do you draw the line? Both of us are wearing glasses. That's a kind of technology that enhances and augments our reality. And I suppose the metaverse is just an extension of that. It's about using really advanced technology to immerse people in a world which is different to our own. So there are, there are different kinds of, um, so we talk about virtual reality, and then there's augmented reality where you can, let's say, for example, go and look for Pokemon, if that's your thing. You can go and look for digital stickers. So whereas me and you, Gethin, when we were growing up and looking forward to the World Cup, probably had our Panini albums and collecting stickers. Nowadays, 
you could collect digital stickers that just exist in a virtual space on your phone. They're not real at all, but you have to go to real world locations in order to pick them up. And that's the kind of technology which people are predicting is going to become much, much more of a part of our daily lives. And lots of these things, you know, smart cars, your smart meters in your house, all of those pieces of technology that have been developed, it's predicted that they will come together in this metaverse, which will almost kind of be the third incarnation of the internet. What about, I mean, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, Dylan, but I'm just thinking about religion, Christianity, not so much how we social media, but what could be the upsides, the benefits of using social media to spread faith? But also in this, you talked about polarization. You know, I wonder if you've seen what it can do to kind of spreading good news. It can actually be used to make things worse than they already are. I mean, I think ultimately social media is just another form of media. So whereas, let's say in, uh, in Jesus's day, he had to walk around telling people the good news. In medieval times, people were probably still taking that approach. Um, you know, they might be on horseback or what have you. So it's kind of, you know, just this sort of continuum, really, of different ways of spreading the gospel. So, you know, you can easily use social media to kind of promote your views or proselytize or whatever you want to call it. But I think you know, that, that sort of danger that social media has to create that kind of polarization, I don't think I've ever seen somebody who I don't know saying something out of the ordinary on social media and not getting picked up and piled on and criticized. So it might seem to some people that it's, it's not a great platform for evangelism, certainly, and that kind of face-to-face -face relationships and building real relationships in real life with real people is probably a better way of sharing the gospel. I think, you know, let's say putting something on Twitter, yeah, it might, you know, it, the Holy Spirit can move in all kinds of ways and, you know, could easily go through your tweet and reach people. And certainly, you know, thinking positively about countries where Christianity is having to be practiced underground, there are certain, you know, countries on earth where the internet is limited and, and shut down. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit like passing around kind of underground literature in a way that you can use the internet to sort of communicate in ways to, to sort of evade the authorities. It is, it's difficult territory, isn't it? But, it, but I think what I'm saying is it's the same as it ever was. You know, it's all of the pros and cons of social media are really all of the same pros and cons of any kind of communication. And, you know, we perhaps shouldn't get either too elated about the possibilities or too downhearted about the problems because ultimately God will move through the world as he sees fit and as he wishes. And we've got to kind of be open to be a part of that, whatever tools we, we're using. And finally... Brother David Jardine helps us prepare for Lent. It was probably the most significant mission I have ever taken part in. During my time in the Society of St. Francis and working for Divine Healing Ministries in Belfast, I have ministered in an amazing variety of places all around the world. But this one was to be the most unusual of all. I was part of a team of ten going from Divine Healing Ministries to take Holy Week in the Arctic in April 2006. We were on our way to the town of Pangerton on Baffin Island. The rector there was the Reverend Darren McCartney from County Antrim in Northern Ireland, 
and a former member of the team of Divine Healing Ministries. Our starting point for the journey was the George Best Belfast City Airport. We flew from there to London and caught a flight to Ottawa. We then had a three-hour flight to Iqaluit on Baffin Island before taking a small plane for the hour's journey into Pengerton. The last stage was the best of all. We knew we were going into temperatures of 30 degrees under and sometimes 40 degrees. The only way into Pengerton was to fly. There were no roads leading in or out. As we approached the town, the views were spectacular. We flew down the valley with mountains on either side, and everything was white. When we landed, we were greeted by a man playing bagpipes. A superb start. We worked hard that week, teaching on the Ministry of Healing in the Theological College in the morning and taking the Holy Week service in the evening. Each afternoon we had some free time and went for a walk on the lake where the ice was six feet thick. We had spent a lot of time in the previous months getting ready for the trip. Top priority was being prepared for the extreme cold. We had a former soldier as part of the team, and he kept saying to us, It's your own fault if you're cold. He was right. The secret was in having six layers on every time we went out. I can honestly say that this worked. I was never cold, except on one occasion. We had been out on the lake in the afternoon and stopped in a souvenir shop on the way back. I took off my balaclava and then because we were only five minutes from the vicarage, did not put it on again when I went out. What a mistake that was. My ears were frozen and in great pain and I just made it in time and back to the vicarage. Back in Northern Ireland, our mission had aroused a great deal of interest. Everybody knew someone who had gone into the heat, but not many knew people going into the extreme cold that we encountered. The members of the team would still say to this day that it was a memorable trip. And the starting point? The starting point was the same starting point for all of our missions abroad, a journey from the George Best Belfast City Airport. I think there's a spiritual lesson in this. Very often, as we look back over our lives, spiritual growth has a starting point. For some people, that may be associated with the season of Lent, which we're in now. There's a well-known broadcaster back in Northern Ireland called Hugo Duncan. He has his own show on BBC Radio Ulster every weekday afternoon from 1.30 to 3pm. Hugo was an alcoholic, but sober for 40 years. I asked him one time how he became sober. He said that in 1982, he decided to go to Mass every day during Lent, and through that discipline, gained the spiritual resources to give up alcohol. Since then, he has never gone back on it. I wonder if this year, Lent could be a spiritual starting point for us. I could make many suggestions, but I'd just make one. What about making a decision to spend more time in prayer every day? Maybe if we make that decision, 
we will look back in years to come, reflect on the blessings that have come our way, and say that the starting point for it all was a decision in Lent 2023 to spend more time in prayer every day. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Plain Talking. If you have enjoyed it, please subscribe to it and leave a review. Plain Talking is sponsored by The Plain Truth, a magazine of understanding. For more information, please visit plain-truth.org.uk. That's it for now. So, goodbye and God bless from all of us at Plain Talking. Thank you.